freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan. We're doing a series called American, talking about can-do spirit that is part of our American DNA. It sure is. And during this COVID-19 season, our lives have been completely turned upside down. And mostly we're hearing about all the things that we can't do and the places we can't go. But we are talking to some awesome experts who are going to help us see some of the things that we still can do. We can learn and grow. We can train and connect and we can expand our freedoms in ways that maybe we haven't even thought about before. And our guest today is Stephen Halbrick. Stephen is an attorney with extensive knowledge of the historical underpinnings of the Second Amendment and practical knowledge of litigating in this rapidly evolving area of law. He was heavily involved in both the Heller and McDonald court cases. He is the author of several books, and his writings include topics as diverse as Gun Control in the Third Reich and the Founders' Second Amendment. And the newest book in his collection is Gun Control in Nazi-Occupied France. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Cheryl and Dan, good to see you again. I've been on the show before. I'm glad to be back. We, uh, we've waited way too long, honestly. There's so much to talk about with you. And thank you so much for your work uh, in the courts, because that seems to be where the fight has gone to, to protect our, our founding documents. But you recently wrote an article in National Review um, online titled, Will the Second Amendment Survive the Coronavirus? What a question. Did you come to a conclusion in that article? Well, it's a rhetorical question, and I do have an answer. First, let me say, this seems like an episode of The Twilight Zone that will never end. Um, in my lifetime and yours, we've never seen anything like this, and it really has changed so much about our lifestyles. But, but the Second Amendment's going to survive. There were two interesting phenomena uh, that happened last year and, and into this year. The first was the contenders for the uh, presidency from the Democrat Party tried to outdo each other uh, with more and more radical rhetoric about confiscating firearms, banning firearms, incarcerating gun owners, things like that. That caused a, a number of people to purchase firearms, um, thinking that, well, it's going to be my last chance. And when the coronavirus situation came up, um, 
we went into a period of uncertainty. Nobody knew then, and we still don't know what the future holds. And when that happens, we have to worry about things like, oh, when have we had other experiences that might be a little bit similar, disasters from nature or mankind? And you think about, well, Hurricane Katrina, the Oakland riots, and you start thinking about when the, in normal times, when the police um, are needed, uh, in seconds, they're minutes away. You've got to provide for your own protection. So we have a lot of new gun owners, a lot of uh, people who bought guns in the in the last few weeks uh, to the extent that we've had record sales of guns. And so with every new gun owner, there's a new constituent and a new voter uh, for Second Amendment rights. And that's why I think the answer is yes, the Second Amendment will survive. Well, I, from your lips to God's ears, because uh, I am hoping that people will take this new, um, this newly enjoyed freedom to heart and start to really understand why the rest of us have been shouting from the rooftops for such a long time that, you know, it does matter when politicians start, you know, using this fancy little phraseology about, you know, common sense, gun laws, and trying to make it seem right. warm and fuzzy to just hand your rights away. Um, I do hope that it translates at the polls, but it, sometimes I wonder because there's two bills right now that are just waiting to uh, get some traction that are as tone deaf as they can be to the fact that millions of people have for the first time discovered personally their second amendment rights um that are the these bills are set to just wipe out basically anything that resembles a firearm and, and your right to own that um and so do you have a thought on on that and how tone deaf that appears to those of us that value our rights well what's incredible to me is that the the media propagates a myth that well there's so many gun stores and um more gun stores and gas stations and you can just walk right in and, and walk out with a gun and and all of a sudden a lot of our liberal friends discover you can't just go buy the gun uh you're going to have a thorough background check and at best it, at the federal instant background check system at best it's going to be in a fairly instant check that might just take a few minutes um, but if you have a, the same name as several other people or all kinds of things might be in terms of uh a potential record, uh, you're going to have to wait a minimum of three days uh, to buy the gun. Mm. And there are a number of states where, like New York, uh, to get a, a gun, a handgun permit, you might have to take six months. In oh. California, you've got to uh, go through some kind of training period and you've got a minimum 10 days waiting period even after that. In Maryland, it's similar. So um, people don't realize that uh, it, it's not like just buying a piece of candy. That's a a myth that keeps getting propagated. Um, but once that's discovered, then uh, then they're, they're, these people are good to go. I hope they're getting training. That's what needs to happen. But keep in mind, um, you know, they tried to close down some of the farms industry in some states, uh, closing down gun stores. And I think one of the governors maybe um, of uh, Rhode Island said something like, well, we don't need more gun owners or something of that type. But remember every gun owner who passes the background check 
has been certified as as having no felony record, no misdemeanor crime of domestic violence, not being an illegal alien, never been committed to a mental institution, one thing after another down the checklist. So these are reliable people. These are the very kind of people who, if they so choose, uh, they will be responsible gun owners. Right. You, you know, our shop, we've seen about a 20 to 25% increase in new gun owners. And it was really something because they learned a lot. First, they learned that they had to do a background check. Then they found this, the background check system was down mm-hmm. for a full day one day during all this rush. And so they were, they were told they couldn't buy a firearm that day, and they were, like, shocked. And some of them were quite angry that they couldn't get a firearm. So I think that uh, these new people may vote differently come election time or at least voice their opinion a little different. So... It's prob- that's a good thing that came out of this, that people are starting to learn. Oh, you can't go into Circle K and buy a gun. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't go buy a gun online and have it shipped to your house. <laughs> so many people right. think you can do that. I mean, I've had people say, well, I can't buy it. On, I can't get a gun today. Well, I'll just buy it online. I said, well, it's got to go to a gun right. shop. You know, <laughs> so, so it's, it's, that part of it's good because a lot of people are voting without education. They don't really know what they're voting on. There's congressmen that are voting on bills that don't know what the bills mean. So it's, it's good. I, I agree. And yeah, we all have stories to tell like that. Um, uh, one thing that's interesting, some states tried to close down gun sales altogether. New Jersey is an example. The mm-hmm. governor of that state said um, uh, first they wanted to close the stores, and then the state police said we're not doing background checks because some states – the state police do background checks instead of the, the federal NICS system. That would be the FBI. Right. And so, uh, you know, that's incredible. They volunteered to be the contact for the NICS federal background check system. And then they come and say, we're not going to do it. So there's lawsuits pending there. There's lawsuits in California, uh, Pennsylvania of all states. I mean, that's a, a gun-friendly state. But the governor said, um, we're going to close down gun sales. and a lawsuit was filed, and uh, keep in mind, Pennsylvania adopted the first guarantee in U.S. history for the right to keep and bear arms in 1776, and it says that the the right of the people to bear arms in defense of themselves and the state shall not be questioned. Um, the, the, the state Supreme Court actually upheld the ban temporarily and didn't even cite that constitutional provision, but then the the Trump administration has a policy that the gun industry is an essential industry. And, um, you know, just just like food and um, actually the, the criteria has been fairly liberal in some ways, hardware stores, things that where you can get stuff you really need. They closed mm-hmm. down the barber shops, they closed down, you know, massage parlors, all kinds of other things, but these are essential industries. And once that was done, Pennsylvania relented and, and went ahead and allowed gun sales. But but most states have been fairly reasonable and most states um there you can go into a gun store um or at least go to the front door and um you know you do the social distancing distancing you uh do all the protective measures wear a mask whatever the policy is in that location and um the atf has been actually um cooperative with the industry in terms of the fact that the gun sales have to be made on the licensed premises, but the premises includes the entire property. So you could actually have a table out front um, and you don't even have to go inside if, if the store allows that. 
Well, that's one of the really interesting things to me about, uh, you know, traversing owning a federal firearms license like like we do. It is a federal license, but yet there are still all these restrictions on where we can use that license. Um, and But one of the things right. that struck me as odd when they were questioning about, well, could you conduct business in your parking lot of your your property there that that is your gun shop is you know we can go to gun uh shows in arizona and we can conduct business there just like we can inside the walls of our store again because we have this lice we are licensed not just our building building so that is that something that does change from state to state because that seems so odd to me that that would even be a a point of contention the parking lot thing well, there's just different sovereigns. You know, we have the feds, we have the states, we have localities. So uh, under federal law, um, you have your licensed premises and it's an address and whatever is on that premises, it doesn't have to be in the building. It can be in the parking lot as long as you're still going to go through the background check. You're going to do everything you would normally do. Uh, that That's um, un under federal law. A state might have a, a different situation. Federal law also says you can go and sell guns at a gun store in your own state uh, if you're you have a federal license and um th that's right the congress passed that that's why it's the policy uh you might have states where that's not allowed like new york or california and you might have to go back to the the licensed premises and, and wait a long period so um but most states are fairly reasonable don't forget that california new jersey new york um Massachusetts, these are real outlier states in our country. Most states are reasonable. Most states have, um, go, go by the federal guidelines for gun purchases. They issue concealed weapon permits to law abiding people. Um, it, it's just the, the states that get all the attention are the, one that, the ones that ban guns and that uh, make life difficult for gun owners. Right. Absolutely. So speaking of that banning guns and stuff, so, uh, a lot of criminals have been released from prisons lately because of the coronavirus. They want to put them back on the streets where it's safer for them. Uh, what's been the results of all that? Well, there has been some serious crimes committed by some of these uh, criminals, like at least one murder. There's been robberies. Um, who knows what all is going on because uh, it just doesn't necessarily make the news because it's local news. But that's been a, another reason why I think citizens have been more fearful of their own safety. You have that uh, release of prisoners as well as the, um, the the fact that law enforcement, their numbers are reduced. Some of them have gotten the virus. Mm -hmm. um, they rightfully don't want to con um, come into contact with members of the general public if they can help it. Sure. That's why it's so incredible. I saw a video of a a police car chasing some runner on the beach and the runner was the only person there. Right. Um, right. So we're going to take people out of prison and then we're uh, at, out of jail. And then we're going to take somebody that's by themselves on the beach and arrest them. Right. Okay. Uh, and you had the, in that Mississippi church parking lot, you know, you had all those uh, police cars driving up to yeah. give out citations. So it's kind of crazy. Um, but you know, normally, um, law enforcement they try to do their job but times are different and it reminds me i, I litigated the um katrina 
firearm confiscation case, NRA versus Mayor Ray Nagin. And uh, the police did confiscate firearms. They would go up to, people were sitting out front of their shops to guard them and uh, the police would come up and take their guns and then, then they would get looted. Um, law and order broke down. And so you have the potential for the same. We hope it doesn't happen and it hasn't happened uh, in any widespread way um, under the current situation, but and it, nobody knows in advance. And, and a month ago, nobody knew in advance when things were really looking bleak. So mm-hmm. um, a gun is like insurance. You hope you don't need to use it ever uh, in terms of the self-defense aspect, but um, it's prudent to, to get it if you so choose. Stephen, I have to ask you, so those people that were holding guns to protect their businesses and got their guns confiscated and then their buildings looted, are, are they going to beat that? Are they going to win that case? Well, this was, you know, a lot of years have passed since then. Um, pe- they not only seized guns from like store owners, but also individual residents. So they went into citizens' homes and, and did so. So we, mm-hmm. we initially got a, a preliminary injunction against the confiscations. And uh, New Orleans did typical lawyer talk in the, the court order that was agreed to. They said, well, we haven't confiscated any guns, but we'll give them all back. So <laughs> there came a time, though. Cute. So, look, um, this is for real. That's adorable. Uh, but of course, a lot of people, a lot of people fled the city, never to come back. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually saw um, a trailer and, and a truck full of guns, pistols in big barrels, 50-gallon barrels, and rifles stacked up like cordwood. This was part of our discovery. And so we reached an agreement where New Orleans would put on their website a, a, a way to claim your gun and to try to get them back. I'm, I'm convinced most of them never made them back to their owners. Um, and they were in pretty poor shape. They hadn't been taken good care of in police custody. A lot of them were really rusted and whatnot. Uh, so oh, if you had moved to Houston, you wouldn't go back to New Orleans to pick up your, rusty your $200 shotgun, for example. Yeah, so, uh, sure. But a lot of, some good came out of that though. A lot of states and the federal government passed laws saying that you cannot confiscate guns during emergencies of that time. But yet here we are in another emergency and some people are trying to do that. Hmm. What, what are you seeing well, out there and what, what are people contacting you? Um, it seems like mostly what we've heard is that our rights are being infringed on the forefront, that they don't, we're not allowed to, to do commerce and, and buy the tools. I'm not sure that I've been hearing about actual confiscation orders, but, but that, that could be going on. What do you say about that? Right. There, there haven't been confiscations that I'm aware of, and it, I haven't seen any media reports. Uh, like at the very beginning of this crisis, a few jurisdictions, um, they had old laws on the books, and they said, well, if the time comes, we're going to declare a, a, a ban on sales of firearms, alcoholic beverages, and some other things. And um, that obviously is in violation of Second Amendment rights, it would be, but uh, I'm not aware that other than the states that actually implemented policies of that type, that this was widespread at all. And I haven't heard of confiscation. So I think that, you know, we've got um, a good Supreme Court uh, ever since the 2008 decision in District of Columbia versus Heller. we had the recent travesty of uh, the city of New York, you know, had a law that you can't take your handgun out of the home. And um, 
and so that Supreme Court was going to decide that case. Everybody knew New York was going to lose. And so they changed the law to say, okay, here, very grudgingly changed it to say, oh, here's the limited ways you can do that. And so the court had to say, okay, it's no longer a, a controversy. Uh, but keep your eye on the, the news because on Friday, last Friday, the court looked at some of the other Second Amendment cases it, it had been holding since the New York case was in, in litigation. And so you might just see them accept a, a right to carry case in the near future. Wow, that's great. Yeah, we, we certainly hope so. And, you know, it does seem in some ways unfortunate that instead of us proactively protecting what's in our founding documents, that now we're having to go to the courts and sort of reactionarily try to bring the, the line and bring the ball back to what our founders envisioned. Um, I mean, it's your livelihood. So, I mean, you definitely have some, um, you know, job security there, but, uh, with the books you've written about third Reich gun laws, um, gun control in the third Reich and gun control in Nazi occupied France, surely, uh, you would want to encourage people to, to, to be proactive on these measures. Yes. Yeah, and this is another thing that we have to keep in mind with this coronavirus. They're they're basically banning the right to associate with other people to have meetings that's protected by the First Amendment, for example. Mm-hmm. And and one one problem um, that arose in the, the experience with Nazi Germany, for example, was that you had the ability to um, decree emergency laws. And, and what would happen long after the emergency, quote unquote, was, after, was over, uh, these same kinds of violations continue long after people forget what the emergency was all about. So mm-hmm. if you have a precedent for uh, the government infringing on uh, religious liberties and the right to associate freely and, and Second Amendment rights um, or search and seizure uh, rights in, in terms of some of the instances, like in New Orleans, um, we've got to be very careful that the, the rulers don't get the idea that, hey, we can, we've done it once, we can do it again, and in non-emergency situations especially, which, which brings up another point. Uh, the Constitution doesn't make exceptions for so-called emergencies. I mean, to the extent that um, there are exemptions or exceptions to certain rights, they're, they're in the Constitution. Searches and seizures have to be reasonable, for example, but you can still have searches and seizures with warrants. Uh, on the other hand, you can't just nilly-willy go off the cliff and, and do what, whatever you want to do. We have the rule of law. We have the Constitution. So we really have to be careful not to let what's happened be a precedent right. for the I future. Was kind of disappointed with that New York ruling that they decided not to hear the case because New York backed off. It would have been nice to see... Uh, the Supreme Court go directly after New York and set an example to the the illegal things that they're doing to citizens. It's true, but like uh, Stephen was saying, that there are other cases that you know can hopefully do a similar offer a, a similar conclusion um, once these other cases come forward. Right. Stephen, right, and w- what's interesting about that whole phenomena 
was once the Supreme Court decided to hear that New York case, the anti-gun people went nuts because they don't want the court to say anything more about the Second Amendment. They, they hate the decisions that it's rendered, recognizing what the clear words of the Second Amendment recognize. Um, and so that's why they went to all depths to try to uh, depths to try to um, get rid of the law and, and make the case go away. But there, there was a dissent joined by three justices. Justice Alito wrote the dissent and he said, you know, the case really still exists in terms of being a case or controversy. Um, we ought to go ahead and, and decide it fully declare the old law unconstitutional. And, and by the way, the, the new law also has provisions that aren't constitutional. And if the case had continued, um, the plaintiffs will be able to get relief, maybe damages, further injunctive relief in regard to the, the new law. Mm -hmm. um, all that said, uh, Justice Kavanaugh went along with the majority, but he said, look, we need to take on some more Second Amendment cases here because we've seen the plaintiffs in that case say that the lower courts are basically going wild with um, nullifying our past decisions. And that's mm -hmm. exactly what they've been doing. So wow. uh, we'll see what the court comes up with. But it, it, uh, I think it's I'd be optimistic to think that the court will hear another case in the near future. Sure. Well, I know that your time is tight, and so we'll start wrapping up. But um, I just want to talk about a little bit more when you say that when something happens and we citizens try to be reasonable, right? And we try to think, well, all right, it, I can comply with this thing or that thing because it's for the greater good. Um, some, a couple of things come to mind that, you know, some horrible murderer breaks every law that's already on the books, does horrible things. And then the reaction seems to be, well, shoot, we need universal background checks. Those seem common sensey and reasonable and we need red flag gun laws because those seem all common sensey and reasonable and i i feel that this is such a perfect moment to kind of funnel our attention and focus on these kinds of things to help us realize no this really bad things can happen to our generation and future generations when we go into this thought process. Right. And what typically happens after a tragedy, like a mass shooting, you'll have waiting in the wings, uh, bills, legislation that was already prepared. And, and they typically have nothing whatever to do with what happened. Uh, and, and in fact, they're, they're cried out for before anybody even knows the facts of what happened. And, and there you have it. Um, and, and then they try to not let the tragedy go to waste. Mm -hmm. So um, we, have, we had that happen in Canada just overnight. You might have heard they, yes. they had a shooting. And, and so um, people have used AR-15 type rifles, uh, rifles of that type for target shooting. That, that's been the rule in Canada that if you, you get a license for that, that's the only purpose you can use it for. And so there's, there's hundreds of thousands of owners of those rifles. And all of a sudden, in one day, uh, last Friday, uh, Trudeau goes on record and says, we're banning 1,500 models of rifles. And, and they listed them even. And he said, you don't need them for hunting. Well, they never were authorized for hunting. They were authorized for target shooting. I mean, this is, 
just total hypocrisy. They weren't able to get it through the parliament in the last few years since he's been prime minister. So he just decrees it. Um, I mean, that, that's the kind of law decree that they've had in some of these countries with such bad experiences in Europe uh, in the 1940s. Uh, France had a, a way that you could just decree a law, so they decreed registration, and then they were taken over by the Nazis, and then, then they had the registration list, and they could round up people and shoot them. So, you, you, you know, you have to be careful what you wish for. There's, uh, there's too much at stake. You have to recognize the rights of law-abiding people, and Every time there's a tragedy, don't just say you want to incarcerate law-abiding people, which has no nexus to what And Stephen, they ruled that in Canada, he ruled that on a guy that killed a bunch of people with illegal guns in the first place. He didn't obtain those guns legally. So right. how does no, that, that never made a difference to people who I know, propose you, laws like You'd think that somebody might hear it one day and go, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, I don't know. Yeah. It just makes no sense to me. Well, the other side that hates our rights, they're so opportunistic. And like you said, they've already got this stuff written and it's just waiting yeah. for their moment. Oh, I yeah. wish that the oh, people yeah. on our side could be more, more so, you know, like right now what we're experiencing, the opportunity for people to be able to really understand why our founders wrote the things that they did in the ways that they did um, and learn from, you know, world history of, about what happens to people who too willingly and, and out of a good heart uh, give right. up their abilities to, to defend themselves. But um, I, I know you need to run, but thank you so much for all the work that you do. It's so important. And for the books that you've written on, on your guest page on Gun Freedom Radio, we have a link to all of those. Uh, everybody's living the quarantine life right now. So you got nothing but time. Right. <laughs> Dig <Yeah>. into history, <laughs> learn a thing or two. Um, and if, uh, if folks want to reach out to you, maybe they feel like in their town or their city or their state that they have a, a situation that they need uh, to talk to somebody that understands the legalities. How would people reach out and, and follow you and, and purchase your books? Well, look at my website. It's stephenhallbrook.com, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-H-A-L-B-R-O-O-K.com. And it's all there. Uh, you can see things I'm speaking about currently and uh, the different books and articles and litigation I'm involved in. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for the work you're doing and that you continue to do. We need you out there. Yes, so. thank you for everything. Thanks, Stephen. <laughs> Bye-bye. Well, thanks for having me on the show again. Good to see you again. Take care. You too. Bye, Stephen. Bye-bye. I wanted to learn about what happened in France. We have to have him back on. Yeah, we never got to that, did we? No, we'll definitely have to have him back on. But um, it's really incredible to see someone like Stephen Halbrook. And, you know, we've we've actually met um, Heller. Dick Heller, we know when you see these court cases, Heller versus DC, now McDonald versus Chicago, uh, Mr. McDonald has passed away now, but um, Dick Heller, Stephen Halbrook, these are people who are still doing the work. They still live and can, we can still learn from them. This isn't like, you know, just a, a piece of dusty old no. history. It's uh, people that have lost their rights mm -hmm. and fought mm -hmm. and once they fight, they won that fight, they're continuing 
to win other fights for everyone, Absolutely. not just for themselves. Absolutely. And it's got to be just especially insulting to people like Dick Heller, people to like um, the McDonald family, people like um, Stephen Halbrook, that they have fought so hard, right? They have gone to all the links to, to, to write things the, the way you need to write them for court, present them to court, go through the process, to watch others, the rest of us, just be like, yeah, yeah they're working. I don't really, you know, it's okay if you want to. Yeah, they're working 20 hours a day. You know, they take don't take away my First Amendment rights or, right. you know, tell me that I, it's not essential for me to protect my one and only human life during anything, right. any day. And they're working 18, 20 hours a day to protect your rights. And they're not able to go out and shoot and have fun. <laughs> and you go out and shoot and have fun. And then you don't do anything, sit on the couch and go, well, oh, they can't do that. Yeah, they wouldn't do that. That's what we hear. Yeah. Right. Well, States government wouldn't, and then fill in the blank. Not only have they wouldn't, they've done it, and they're continuing to do it. And if you'll notice, they win a little bit every time. Uh, think about who's how the, who's the they? They the anti-gunners. Mm -hmm. They're winning because they take a little chip. Oh, we don't, oh, we don't need that. Okay, I can give that up. And then pretty soon it's more, and then more and more. I remember my dad back in the '60s. He was fighting for. They were trying to take your handguns away at that time it was when uh, bobby kennedy 68 i think he got uh killed uh by a handgun by saran saran or whatever saran rap or whatever his name was i don't know but anyway he uh, fractured history so he Dan. used he used a cheap handgun to kill bobby kennedy at close range and so uh they wanted to outlaw what they called saturday night specials and I found a book just a couple of days ago of the Saturday Night Special, the list of all the guns. A Colt Python was listed as the Saturday Night Special. Now, the reason they were called Saturday Night Specials. They were supposed to be cheap, just inexpensive, cheap, not well revolvers. Made. Yeah. A Colt Python. Yeah, a Colt Python. Well, a Colt <laughs> Python probably cost $98 in 1968. Well, but still. it doesn't cost $98 anymore. No. So anyway... <laughs> um, so if it was the people, like the people that fought, my dad fought and other people fought, I wish I would have been more active earlier in my life. But well, we don't tend to really understand anything until it impacts us on a personal level. And that is why I am hoping so much that the millions of brand new first-time gun owners out there, that you, that you feel it different, that you think about it differently now. And that you value it enough to uh, it, meaning our documents, right? The firewall, the Bill of Rights is our firewall between us and the, the government. That you value it enough that when a politician that maybe you like everything else they say, right? Maybe you love everything else that they say. But when they say, hell yes, I'm going to reach into your home or your neighbor's home, or whoever's home, and take something they own, that it doesn't matter whether it's a firearm, maybe you don't like firearms, maybe it's a, who cares what it is, that maybe we're thinking and hearing that differently, and we're able to go, uh, no, because that puts you in a position of power rather than service, and the people that we elect are supposed to serve the public and to be our representatives, not our rulers like Trudeau, who can right. just, at the swish of a pen, 
right? What did Obama used to say? I've got a phone and a pen, right? So with the swoosh of a pen, Trudeau just punishes millions of law-abiding people because of one guy who broke a ton of laws without a care in the world. And including those, murder is illegal. Right. And the guns and he bought. murdered a bunch of people. And that's right. He was already a prohibited possessor and that didn't stop him from possessing these firearms. So I've read this and then I just kind of glanced just to make sure it's not, in, you know what? Everything in here pertains to you, mm. you, this one's for you. This is for you. It all, it, everything in here is going to affect you in some way or another in your life. And if you lose that, then it's too late. Absolutely. So think about later. I, you know, I look at this, we, we've had the radio show going on for several years now, and I see victims um, that never owned a gun before. They became a victim, some of them real serious, deaths, rape. They, they become a victim, and then guess what? They want to buy a gun. Right. They had no intentions, no thought to buy a gun. Right. And survivors. They, yeah. they consider themselves survivors because they've, they've evolved and they've, they've come to right. a new place. And, and a lot of times that, that tool, right, understanding better what the tool had to, has to do with self-defense and prevention of future tragedies and future victimhood, um, that, that is part of that survivorship, yeah. right? So please don't survival wait. Survival mind, mindset. Be prepared now. Be prepared. You know, have a little bit of food. Have a little bit of, you know, you, you, you don't Water, go to the grocery store supplies. when you're hungry. Right. You go to the grocery store because you know you're going to be eating for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Right? right? So it's the same thing, except maybe a little longer term. Yeah. You know? I like so. that. All right. Well, we got to wrap up. That was a, a tremendous conversation that went too quickly, and we've got to give him more time next time we have him on Stephen Halbrook, our awesome guest today thank you so much thank you to our listeners my goodness what we do here would matter much less i mean it matters every conversation we have as individuals with another human being it matters it yes. changes us it changes the other person um, we become part of each other's quilts um you know, a crazy quilt of our lives um, so it matters, but it matters so much more. That quilt becomes so much larger when uh, you take the conversations into your sphere of influence. And so thank you so much for that. And uh, until next time, right? You say it first. You're going to make me say pray for our leaders? Well, first you got to say pray for our nation. Oh, pray for our nation. Of course, pray for our nation. Pray for our nation every day. But then you're going to ask me to pray for our leaders. And I'm going to say, all of them? And you're going to say, yes, Dan, all of them. And I'm going to say, I don't want to, because some of the leaders are rulers, not leaders. And I don't want to pray for rulers. And then she'll say, well, pray that they'll change their way of mind and their hearts. And I say, okay, I'll do that. And so we do that. Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> you did that quite well. So... All of them, Dan, even the ones you don't like, especially the ones you don't like. I just explained it. She should understand that after 34 years, right? She should know. Be good to each other. Have a great week and God bless. Bye-bye.